the official As Began podcast, hosted by Dr. Alex Nicely. Our guest today is Dr. Giuseppe Indolfi, who joins us from Florence, Italy, Firenze. He has been everywhere, although he's based in Florence now. I remember him from his days as a fellow on attachment in the King's College Hospital liver unit. Not only has he been everywhere, but looking at his CV, he's published on everything. And what are you concentrating on at the moment in your career, Dr. Indolfi? Hello. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. I'm actually working as a clinician in the liver unit of the Mayor Children's Hospital of Florence. Um, I, I'm actually taking care of uh, children with liver disease, different liver diseases, and my main research area of interest is in chronic viral hepatitis. Chronic viral hepatitis. I suppose that the big players in that field are hepatitis B virus infection and hepatitis C virus infection. In children, in Italy, um, how bad is the problem for those two disorders? Well, over years, we have concentrated and attired a lot of children with chronic viral hepatitis B and viral hepatitis C. We perfectly know, we are aware that uh, living in a high-income country, the burden of the problem is much lower when compared to low- and middle-income countries. What we are doing is trying to understand as much as possible from this infection, given the numbers that we have. And we are trying to translate our knowledge and our research in uh, practical actions, treatments that could be available both for high-income countries and low- and middle-income countries. Taking what we learn in Italy and applying it elsewhere. Well, that makes sense. But in Italy, you also have a problem with what I might call new intakes. All of those people coming across the Mediterranean, coming across the Adriatic, and the incidence of hepatitis C virus infection, for example, is probably higher in those countries. So the pool keeps refilling. What are we doing to empty the pool? What are we doing to interrupt transmission of hepatitis C virus infection in children? To be fair, we don't have any real weapon to interrupt transmission. Uh, we have many drugs and we will talk about it, but these drugs are only to treat, not to prevent the transmission of the infection. It would be nice to share some, uh, let's say, very theoretical ideas on how we can use these drugs in order to interrupt transmission, similarly to what uh, infectious disease people have been doing with uh, HIV infection. But we are still far away from having a, an application, a, a real, true application in the daily life to prevent hepatitis C. How to prevent it in daily life? I imagine that there is a certain amount of lateral transmission, but from what I remember, most hepatitis C virus infection in children is acquired vertically. When does that happen in a child's life? Fetal life? Perinatal life, postnatal life, when can we intervene? 
Vertical transmission from the HCV-infected mother to the child is the main route of acquisition of hepatitis C in children in high-income countries. We are used to say that uh, vertical transmission usually occurs perinatally. That means just before or just at the moment of birth or soon after birth. We have experience of, so, of some children who are already hepatitis C virus viremic, so HCV RNA positive, soon after birth. This is a minority of the children with infection and uh, we think that these children acquired the infection in the fetal life. But as I said, it's only a minority of them. Most of them acquired infection perinatally. Vertical transmission is a low efficacy phenomenon. Around 5% of children born to viremic mothers will become HCV infected. And if the mother is HIV-HCV co-infected, we go up to 10%, but still low numbers when compared to hepatitis B and HIV. So it's not worth it to apply hepatitis C virus medication prophylactically to all comers, to all women with HCV infection who bear a child. I find this idea interesting and extremely attracting. This is what I wrote in many papers. You know, when you try to treat a mother then you can obtain a double dividend that is curing the mother and in the case of vertical transmission of an infection you also can prevent the transmission of the infection. We are perfectly aware that transmission is matter of viremia. Transmission doesn't occur from mothers who are not viremic. So all the drugs that we have to treat hepatitis C are excellent in terms of uh, lowing down and controlling viral replication. It is quite clear from the theoretical point of view that if you treat the mother, get the mother non-viremic, then the likelihood of having transmission of the infection is extremely low. As you may imagine, this is extremely difficult as well to demonstrate. Well, I'm, I'm not following here. Why is this extremely difficult to demonstrate? because it's very difficult to run a trial on uh, pregnant women. This is something that uh, should oh. be very well designed, very well approved from the ethical committees. You should be very... Um, you should have uh, the idea that this drug would be successful before starting such a trial. Well, Dr. Indolfi, here I am, an OBGYN, with a mother in my office who's eight, 12 weeks along, she's missed a period or two. She now knows she's pregnant and we know she has hepatitis C virus on board. What do I do for her? What do I do in order to protect her baby? Unfortunately, you cannot do anything. Uh, no drug is currently approved. There is only one trial ongoing in the United States on treatment of pregnant women in order to understand this, if the treatment is safe, if the treatment is effective in treating the mother and in preventing the transmission of the infection. At this time point, you should only advise the mother to go for pediatric care after birth in order to detect the possible vertical transmission of the infection. Should, does this mean sampling cord blood? How long do you have to wait before you can assess a baby who is at risk? 
All the guidelines are just suggesting to check the child at least three months after birth. We don't have any major advantage in checking the cord blood or examining the child too early. We are not expecting any clinical sign. We are not expecting that anything would change if we find the child infected at, at the age of one month or at the age of three months. Hmm. I was wondering about spontaneous clearance of an infection, but I suppose that that's not really something that happens all that often. And yet, maybe it does happen more often. Yes. You've told us that, you've told us that, that 5%, maybe, is the transmission rate vertically from an infected mother to a baby. That's not very efficient. Or if it is, if, or maybe the infection is transmitted, but it's cleared in a larger number of cases than we think. What data are available on that? According to what we know, spontaneous clearance of hepatitis C after vertical transmission is possible, and is possible in about 20% of the children infected, usually in the first three to four years of life. We are not able to predict which child will present spontaneous clearance of an infection. We have some clues, we know something, but we are not able to predict which child, which child will present spontaneous clearance. You're teasing me. What are, those, what are those clues? What are those hints? We know that those children with very ra high raised transaminases in the first years of life are more likely to present spontaneous clearance. We know that uh, if the child is infected by HCV genotype 3, there is an increasing uh, um, risk, let's say, hope that the child will present spontaneous clearance. We also investigated some single nucleotide polymorphism of IL-28B, interferon lambda 4 gene, that uh, can help to understand and to predict which child will present spontaneous clearance. Well, if you went from teasing me to fascinating me, that is remarkable. I had no idea that so much was understood and that we had so many ways of possibly altering the course of HCV infection in the neonate, in the toddler, and in the older child. Um, when do children become eligible for the same sorts of drug treatments that seem to work fairly well in adults? Well, uh, all the trials that have been run in the last few years uh, use three years of age as the threshold, the lower threshold, to start treatment. There are different reasons and explanations for that. The first one is that, uh, as I told you, in children as young as three years, there is still hope that uh, after vertical transmission, they can clear spontaneously the infection. And in previous years, the drugs that were available, interferon, for example, were not used in those that were younger than three years of age. At the same time, we know that it's extremely unlikely to have a severe infection in the first three years of life. So no reason and no way to treat the child younger than three years of age. Um, as a histopathologist, I should know this, but um, I put my hand up. I confess my ignorance, at what age do we start to see scarring 
in the hepatitis C virus infected child liver. I can't remember seeing a substantial number of monitoring biopsies for that for that purpose. Are they being obtained? What do we know about the progress of hepatitis C virus infection to uh, liver injury that results in scarring? We, as a pathologist, are used to say that this is a mild infection, but I am strongly against this definition. Looking at uh, our, our, my personal experience and looking at what uh, has been described in the literature, there have been children as young as 80 years of age with cirrhosis, diagnosed with cirrhosis due to chronic hepatitis C. Wow. It is quite clear that these are exceptional case, cases. We know that uh, fibrosis and uh, liver damage is a matter of time and uh, it increases slowly over years after the infection. If you want some numbers, according to the largest cohort that have been published, we should know that only few children underwent liver biopsies in these cohorts, but it has been estimated that about 5% of them will present during the pediatric age with cirrhosis, bridging fibrosis, so advanced liver disease. Um, I find those numbers uh, a bit scary. Are you having the same sort of good results in drug-associated, drug-assisted clearance of hepatitis C virus infection in children as are reported in adults? We have... Uh, uh different trials that have been uh, performed the last few years and some of these trials some of these trials are phase 2 to 3 trials run by industries and we all know that uh, in these trials very selected populations are uh, enrolled and the numbers are very high from 95% to 100% we also have some real life experience from Italy Egypt and uh, across uh, the world and uh, I'm very happy to say that uh, all the results are on the same line, very high sustained virological response rates. That means children, adolescents clearing the infection after a short treatment course between 8 to 12 weeks of treatment. Dr. Ndolfi, I've been pegging away at the question of what to do when the child is newborn, when the child is a toddler, but I've forgotten in doing so, that we are all post-children <laughs> and that children who are infected with hepatitis C virus who don't receive treatment during the pediatric age range are going to wind up as hepatitis C virus infected adults and they're going to have short, miserable lives because of that infection. What prospects do we have for treating the older child and sending them away from a pediatric practice healthy. This is extremely important. You know, in 2018 on Journal Hepatology, the group from Professor Kelly presented a, a, a huge cohort, more than 1,000, let's say, ex-children, because we are talking about young adults, who get the infection, get infected in the first 18 years of life. We were missing the data in the medium-long-term follow-up of these children. 
And it was surprising to see that uh, almost one third of them were cirrhotic at the age of 33 to 35. As pediatricians, we cannot look at our patients and, uh, and our, let's say, follow-up at 18 years of age. In this case, in the case of chronic viral hepatitis, we can, uh, we can treat an infection and prevent a possible disease. So this is uh, something that uh, put me strongly in favor of treatment at the earliest possible age in children. What are the indications for treatment then? This depends on the uh, treatment and the access to treatment you have. We have wonderful drugs, but uh, not every country has access to these drugs. If we are talking about pegylating interferon ribavirin, let's say the old treatments, well, the indication is advanced liver disease, progression of liver disease. So treating only those who really need it in terms of uh, severity of liver disease. But uh, if we are talking about the new direct active antivirals, to me, and I would say to the most of those who are interested in, in this infection, the indication for treatment is uh, treating an infection to prevent a possible disease. Well, that's what we're after in these adolescents, to get them cured before they develop the pedulated, pedulated interferon, yeah. before they transition into the advanced liver disease stage. Um, so, bearing that in mind, you're, in a, you're a practitioner in a wealthy country. What do you give and when do you decide to give it? Well, uh, we don't use any more and we are not recommending any more to use interferon-based treatment. We are using direct active antivirals, as I told you. We now have access to four different regimens. The names of the drugs are all very difficult. I can tell you that uh, the simplest one is Sofosbuvir with Ledipazir. We could have Sofosbuvir plus Ribavirin, Glecapervir plus Pibrentasvir, Sofosbuvir plus Verpatasvir. I know you will not re remember the names of these drugs uh, in the next two minutes, but uh, it's, it is not really a matter of which uh, drug we are using. The most important point is to highlight that we have uh, combinations of drugs all oral combinations. That means that uh, we can take by mouth one pill per day or a few pills per day for a short treatment course that goes from eight weeks to 12 weeks. And the likelihood of having a response to treatment, so being cured, is uh, higher than 97%. Let me repeat that. A couple of pills a day, Eight to 12 weeks and 97% cure? Yes, and I would also add that the safety profile is excellent. Well, everybody should be getting this. <laughs> um, everybody with HCV infection, that is. Or, uh, what I mean to say is that the indications are universal with that sort of safety profile and that sort of results. And this is not me, this is what WHO is suggesting, this is what, this is what uh, uh, the major uh, societies, I'm talking about uh, um, the American Association for the Study of Liver Disease, the European Association for the Study of the Liver, and as well the European Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Pathology and Nutrition are suggesting.
treating the infection, treating the infection when the drug is available and uh, uh, starting from the age of three and uh, became and making these children free of the infection, free of the social stigma of having a chronic infection as soon as possible. I want to add something if possible. I'm not saying that we should run into, uh, into these drugs um, at the age of three. I'm saying that uh, we should not go anymore for the wait and see. Um, we should try to have an active part, to be active in this infection. And uh, as soon as possible, when the family is happy with that, when we have access to the drug, treat the child. Understood. Um, is any kind of special monitoring necessary during treatments of this sort? We are talking about uh, 12 weeks of treatment. What we usually do is to check the child after two weeks. We want to really see if there is compliance with the study medi with the medication. Ah. This, is the, this is extremely important. Then we usually suggest to check the blood test every four weeks. And uh, 12 weeks after the end of treatment in order to be sure that uh, even after stopping the treatment, there is no ongoing viral replication and the child is free of the infection. Got it. So six months from start to finish until you can put your seal on the case and say, cured. It is. Right. Well, now, take home message. What do you want the people who are listening to you to know about hepatitis C virus infection in children and its treatment? In few words, we know that uh, hepatitis C virus infection in children is often a chronic infection. It is a mild disease, but we cannot predict which child will have advanced liver disease during the pediatric age. What we know also is that if we don't treat the child, it, it will become, the child will become an HCV-infected adult and the likelihood of having a chronic and progressive liver disease is higher in young adults when compared to children and adolescents. We have wonderful drugs with difficult names and uh, I don't really care which treatment combination you have access to, but the important point is that all these treatment combinations are safe and effective. And so we should move forward from the idea that uh, we should treat only those with advanced liver disease to the idea that we can treat an infection to prevent a possible severe liver disease. How soon do you think these treatments will become widely available in less economically fortunate countries than our own? Unfortunately, I will say that this is still very difficult because these treatments are really expensive. Oh. We have been working in the last few years with the World Health Organization. And you should know that uh, we are updating the WHO guidelines for treatment of hepatitis C. And we cannot uh, put into, into these guidelines the common treatment regimens that we are using in United States and Europe. Because these drugs are not available in low-middle-income countries. 
And uh, there are other drugs that have not been tested in uh, high-income high countries. So, so Fosbury-Daclatasbury, for example. This is a, a wonderful combination as well, with the same safety and with the same efficacy profile, but different from the drugs that we are using in Europe. But this combination is available, is uh, cheap, and um, so it's uh, the correct choice for low- and middle-income countries. Got it. Thank you very much. I, I've come away from this podcast feeling that I've learned something, and I enjoy that feeling very, very much. Oh, well, we started this podcast, and then we interrupted the podcast, although I don't think the audience knew that, so that you could leave the room where you're recording, Dr. Andolfi, and go out and discipline a child. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I have three kids. The oldest is eight, the younger is three. And what exactly was the crisis? Well, there's no crisis. They usually play, so they were just talking between them, and so <laughs> no crisis at all. No crisis, just a bit of background noise. Good enough. Dogs, cats, pet goldfish? I'm strongly uh, fighting against the dog, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's a matter of time. <laughs> I promise I'll take care of it, and I'll walk it, and I'll feed it, and you'll never have to do anything. Um, I've heard that. I've said that. How much time do you get to spend with your family? Um, Life-work balance, so important and so difficult to achieve. Uh, it is difficult, and it is becoming day after day more difficult. Uh, I am a family man, so whenever I have time, uh, I am with my family. I love my kids, and uh, I love to spend time with them. Um, is your wife a professional person? Unfortunately, she's a pediatrician as well. Oh, well... <laughs> my mother was a pediatrician, and the bad thing about having a pediatrician as a mother is that when you say, Mom, I don't feel good, she says, I know what sick kids look like, and you're not sick. Go to school. Very unsympathetic. What was your one worst experience coming up in your training? I am a lucky man. Uh, I cannot tell you about any real bad experience in my training. Uh, I have always been dealing with uh, wonderful colleagues and professors. You know, what I ate and what at the same time I love in my clinical activity is that feeling when you take care of a child, when you make decisions, when the child is... Uh, let's say, very sick, and then you don't know what, what will be the outcome of your decision. And that feeling, when you are scared, when you are afraid, is something that uh, I love and hate at the same time. You really must have enjoyed it when I called you up to the projection screen and asked you to interpret the histopathologic findings. Um, but we'll just, we'll just leave that alone. Um, your success... It, You've uh, gone back to you've left Florence. You've gone back to Florence. You're working as the head of a unit. How did you do it? And what is the tip that you want to give to younger colleagues who would like to emulate you? Well, it's quite simple: hard work, hard work, and hard work. <laughs> uh, I don't have any real secret uh, because uh, I'm just doing what I love to do, and uh, I'm lucky. And uh, I'm working every day to become a better doctor. I still don't know if I am a good doctor or not, but I'm trying to do it.
It's wonderful to have a job that's also a vocation, and I think we're very lucky to have been able to work in medicine as we have done. I've stepped away from much pediatric clinical medicine. What do you think was the most important innovation in pediatric hepatogastroenterology during the five years that we've just come through? Well, it's quite difficult. Um, we are looking for innovation. We are looking for new drugs. Hepatitis C is a wonderful example. I'm really excited by the, by the few drugs that will become available for children with cholestatic liver disease. This is something we need. And um, I think that we should do more. From the diagnostic point of view, I'm sure that uh, the impact that uh, next-generation sequencing, the use of genetics in the diagnosis of liver disease uh, has had in the last few years is impressive. So that was looking backward. Now, look forward. Five years from now? Well, again, uh, if I want to be, uh, and I want to do it, strict to my research area of interest, I would say that what has been achieved for hepatitis C should be a C achieved as well for hepatitis B. There are millions of children with chronic hepatitis B and uh, we don't have any real treatment, any treatment that uh, could be used to clear the infection, to cure the infection. So being strict with my research activity, I'm looking forward to having more effective drugs for hepatitis B. Dr. Andolfi, we're at the end of the podcast, or almost at the end of the podcast, and a tradition that we're in the process of establishing here on these podcasts is to honor the multiplicity, the multifacetedness of ESPGAN and of the people who make up ESPGAN and of the patients from the various nations whom they treat. Italy. Italy and a song. A song that reflects something about Italy, something special about Italy, and that reflects as well how you see her, your homeland. What do you have to offer us? My song is a song from a famous Italian singer, Francesco De Gregori. It's not the most famous song from this singer. It talks about a child, and I like it for this reason as well. It talks about a child who is scared about kicking a penalty kick, and I like sports, and so this is the second point. And I think that this song is almost like life. When you are scared of doing something, you should go for it and try. And sometimes you will be successful, sometimes not. Sole che batte sul canto di pallone E terra e polvere che tira vento E poi magari piove Nino cammina che sembra un uomo Con le scarpette di gomma dura Dodici anni e il cuore pieno di 
paura Mannino non aver paura di sbagliare un calcio di rigore non è mica da questi particolari che si giudica un giocatore un giocatore lo vedi dal coraggio If you would like to listen to the song in full length please check out our Espigan playlist There's a famous famous essay by Peter Handke on the anxiety of the goalie as on awaiting the penalty kick. And here we are with the other side, the anxiety of the footballer, the striker, who's aiming to send that ball past the goalie. I like it. Thank you very much, Dr. Ndolfi. Thank you. It has been a great pleasure.